Good morning and welcome to our Bible study this morning and we're going to have a look at Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 12 and starting to read at verse 13. So if you have your Bibles ready and we'll read through this together. Mark 12 verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. It is right to pay is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and they asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her, Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Now God will ask, add his blessing to the reading of that word as we look at the passage together. Before we do, let's just come before him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you again for the fact that we can gather together here around your word. And as we come to it, we pray that you might just, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Show us the things that you would have us know. Teach us the things that you would have us learn. And that we might go away this morning in the knowledge that we have heard you speak to us through your word. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this passage of Mark, um, chapter 12, verse 13, it actually goes through to verse 34. And here we have questions being asked about, first of all, paying taxes to Caesar, questions on marriage and resurrection, and also later we will have the question of what is the greatest of all the commandments. What we need to understand here is the relevance that each one of these questions has with the other. This is the point where all those in authority have put aside their differences so that they could unite in discrediting and eventually destroying Jesus. They attack him from every angle, social, 
political, religious, theological. And we will see that each question is asked by those who were considered to be experts in their field. They were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and even the Herodians. And we're going to meet them as we go through this passage together. Later in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through to 38, we will see that Jesus is the one who is going to ask a question. And when he asks that question in that passage, he will also give us the answer. Let us go and have a look at the first question that Jesus will be asked. This is Mark 12, 13 to 14. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? <coughs> Notice that these people are sent. Sent by who? Who is it that sent them? Well, more than likely, it's the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling body, and it's made up of 71 members, all drawn from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and they are presided over by the high priest. The Herodians that we read about, well, they were Jews who sympathised with Herod and the Herodian rulers, and they supported the alliance with Rome. The Pharisees and the Herodians did not get on well with each other, but on this occasion they joined forces. And their aim is not just to trick Jesus. It's deeper than that. It's more than that. They want to destroy his reputation, thus putting an end to his teaching, and also possibly an end to his life. When they come, they come with the words of flattery on their lips. They say, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You know, all these things are true of Jesus, but these people who are saying them, they don't believe a word of what they are saying. This is their way of luring Jesus into their trap. The question was a loaded political question that was a hot potato with the people of the day both from a social and a religious standpoint. You see, most Jews paid taxes, but didn't feel that it was right that they should. They didn't want to be funding a, a foreign uh, country that has now taken control in their land, but they paid the taxes. Others did not pay because they felt that on religious grounds it was not right to pay what was a, a godless foreign government. Others, such as the Herodians, they felt that it was right to pay the taxes. The first part of verse 15 in Mark 12. The question, should we pay or shouldn't we? They wanted a simple yes or no answer. Say yes 
we should pay. And the people would see Jesus as betraying them. And they would desert him. Say no. And this would be seen as a treacherous act against Herod and against Rome. And this would be worthy of death. In verse 15b through to 16, we read this. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Well, from that verse, we're told that Jesus knew exactly what they were up to. They were pretending to believe the thing that they did not believe. Now, this is hypocrisy. And he saw right through it. A denarius was a common silver coin. The worth was about a day's wage for a, a, a working man. It had on it the image of Tiberius Caesar and the inscription, Son of the Divine Augustus, High Priest. Now, both the reference to the image and the inscription are important. You see, the coin carries the name and also the status of the person, as well as their image. It's just like the currency that we use today. The Caesars, well, they claimed that they had political status, but they also claimed to being a god. Jesus, when he handed the coin, asked them a question. They didn't really need to look at the coin. They knew the answer, the only answer that they could give. Whose is the coin? Whose head is on it? Caesar's, they replied. In, in truth, they have answered the question that they have asked. But in verse 17, then Jesus said to them, Well, give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now, why were they amazed at him? And who was it who was amazed? This is a simple answer to a complex question that Jesus has given. The coin carries the image of Caesar, therefore it belongs to him. He claims to be God, but you know that he is not God. But because the coin belongs to the state, so you must give it to the state. But as for you, and he's speaking to the people now, he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's speaking to the Herodians, but you carry the image of the one you know as being the true God. So the lesson that you have learned from the coin is a reminder that you must give to God that which is his. They would have been familiar with the words from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And again, from Deuteronomy, a passage that they also would have been very familiar with, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I think on this occasion that the Pharisees were more amazed than anybody else. Why? Because they had probably not looked at it 
this way? The answer is coming to them through the words inscribed on the coin, as well as the image of the head that was on the coin. But more importantly, from the words of Scripture that they claim to be living by. And these words are coming from the mouth of the one that they are trying to destroy. And he's saying, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then he goes on and he says, and to God what is God's. You know, Paul covers this subject in Romans chapter 13 and the question of authority concerning church and state. This is also a question that has been with us through the ages and is still here with us today. But for this morning, I will just quote a couple of verses from what Paul says, which are in line with what Jesus is teaching here. They're found in Romans chapter 13. It's good to read through that whole chapter. But verse 6 and 7, we read this. This is also why you pay taxes, For the authorities are God's servants who have given their full time to govern. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. So these are the words from Paul. You know, Caesar was claiming to be a god, but he wasn't a god. But he is a governor. But always remember what your God says to you. Those words from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words apply to us today. Those of us who carry the image of our Lord and Saviour. The Pharisees and the Herodians have tried to oppose Jesus coming from a religious and a social and a political standpoint. Now it's the turn of the Sadducees, who are ready to step in with a theological question designed to bring Jesus down in public. And remember, these Sadducees have also been sent. Verses 18 to 23. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow but also died leaving no children. And it was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. Here's the question. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? since the seven were married to her. Well, first of all, it's amazing how, when it comes to challenging Christianity, that the most unlikely people will join in an effort to discredit or destroy it. We have seen the Pharisees join with the Herodians who occupied extreme ends of the political divide, and now the Sadducees, whose theology is at odds with the Pharisees, engage themselves in trying to discredit Jesus. The Sadducees, who, unlike the Pharisees, did not believe in the resurrection or the existence of angels or the existence of demons, and who only accepted the Torah, that is the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they saw them as being God's word. 
It's important that we understand this, uh, as we will see later. They bring a question about life after death, asked by people who do not believe that there is life after death. That gives us some idea that they are not here to look for answers, but to bring discredit on the one they will present this question to. Their question is based on a passage from Deuteronomy 25. It tells of a law to reserve the family name of a dead brother. And they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and rise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too at the resurrection. Whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? I can also see these um, Sadducees stepping back with a, a smile on their face as they look at each other and thought, this has got him. This is a good one. This is a hypothetical question, and it's designed to show how ridiculous resurrection would be if it were true. And of course, they didn't believe in a life hereafter. But as we know, this is the reason that Jesus had come. He came to die he would be buried and he would rise again the third day. This is the very foundation of Christianity. This is what they are attacking. But we come to the answer that Jesus gave them. And in verse 24, Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? The answer that Jesus gives reveals that it is they who are in the wrong He's not only telling them they are wrong, he's telling them why they are wrong. First of all, he says, you do not know the scriptures. Well, I can imagine them saying and looking at each other, we do, we're the experts. And then secondly, he said, you do not know the power of God. So let's deal with the first one, you do not know the scriptures. You know, when tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus answered Satan, and he answered him and challenged him by quoting the scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the word of God. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. Jesus is going to answer their question. He's going to challenge them as he quotes back to them the very scriptures that they say they believe. So let's go to the, the second point when he says you do not know the power of God. These people know and believe in the exodus. The power of God is revealed to them in the plagues that were passed upon the Egyptians and the parting of the Red Sea. And that's just to mention two of these revelations of the power of God that they knew about. And more recently, what about the miracles that they had witnessed? 
the things that have been brought about by the words spoken from the mouth of Jesus here in their own time. Verses 25 through to 27, when the dead rise, they will neither marry. This is Jesus speaking to them. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So you are badly mistaken. Jesus here, notice a very subtle thing here. He does not say, if the dead rise. He says, when the dead rise. This is not hypothetical. This is a statement of a true fact. When the dead rise. When he mentions the angels, notice he's speaking to people who say they don't believe in angels, these Sadducees, but when he mentions angels here, it doesn't mean that we will be like the angels in every way. Other than our new life, in some respect, will be like theirs, especially with regard to being in the presence of God. We will be there in the presence of God, like the angels are. We will have our new bodies. They won't necessarily be like the bodies of the angels, but we will be able to worship God as the angels do. So in that respect, we will be like the angels, but not completely like the angels. But what Jesus is saying here is that the scripture is teaching them that there are such beings. And about the dead rising, the scriptures that they claim to know and understand and believe teaches that the dead will rise. And Jesus goes on with quotes from the the, the Torah, books of the first five books in the Bible, the part of scripture that they claim to be familiar with and that they say are the only really uh, words of God to his people. But in Exodus 3 verse 1 to 6, that's the second book in the book of the, the the books of the Torah. Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, although the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. So, Jesus is saying to these Sadducees, you say that you know and believe the Torah. What do you have to say about this? That the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And what do you have to say about this? Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. How many in our day attack the book that they have never read, and the Saviour that they have never known. Jesus replied, Are you not in error? 
because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. I want us to consider these things and we're going to go on with this passage next week and we're going to have a look at what happens when the the eagle, the legal eagles step up. These are the scribes and we can read about that in Mark 12 verse 28 through to 34 and then in 35 through to 37 we'll find out what Jesus asked. Jesus will ask a question and he'll also answer the question that he puts to them. In the meantime, The same challenges to Christianity are still coming from all directions. But the truth of the gospel is still the same. As we finish this morning, let's just take encouragement in the words of Paul that he wrote in the introduction in his letter that he wrote to uh, Rome, to the Roman Christians in Romans 1 verse 1 to 7. This is what he said. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, to his earthly life, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection, From the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, those words were written by Paul to the church at Rome, to the Christians then, be them Jew or Gentile. And you know, those words come down to us and they can be applied to us in our day. And we'll finish this morning with these words of Paul. And we'll just say, To all who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this morning, we can all finish by saying, Amen to that. Amen. And may God continue to teach us, to lead us, and to encourage us in the days that we live today. And God bless.